0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be.
1: A reading from the Gospel of Luke 1 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whom was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be me according to your word. And the angel departed from her the word of the Lord.
2: Well, Salem, I've uh, always wondered what it would be like if there was like, you know, I was doing some sort of podcast or something and I was had to interview a very famous person who is so famous they make me nervous to interview them. And uh, I got that today. I am, I am with the one and only Stephanie Laurent today. And about, I would say, two months ago, maybe, Stephanie was leading worship, and at one point, she said something really quick. She said, sometimes you just have to sing. And when she said that, I leaned over to Jacqueline, and I said, I really think that uh, we have to have Stephanie up there on a Sunday morning soon. And Jacqueline, of course, was like, yes, that's amazing. That would be great. And then, as we were moving toward the Advent season, Stephanie her life went into a lot of different ups and downs very, very quickly, very rapidly. And uh, as we were talking through them, you know, Steph would call and we would ha- start having a conversation. And there are conversations that, you know, are good for you for the moment. And then there are conversations that, you know, you'll have and you'll remember them for the rest of your entire life. We've had about 38 of those conversations. And so I just wanted Stephanie to be able to share her ongoing in the middle, still unresolved, yet very powerful testimony of what God is doing in her life. And so without further ado, Steph, why don't you begin, and we have the tissues, why don't you begin to tell us what's been going on with you and how did we get here? Well, well,
0: so much, so much. Um, A few months ago, um, we, you know, John and I and Mila, we're very, very excited. We received some great news for our family. Um, at the time, we were expecting our second child. Um, and we were so excited. We were planning so many things. It felt like, it felt right. It felt like God was doing something different and exciting in our lives. And um sh- Three months into the pregnancy, um, I ended up losing the baby. Sorry. So I'm going take my time with this. But I ended up losing the baby. Um, and it was very sudden, um, unplanned. Um confusing, and not what I planned for, expected, not what we planned for, expected. It felt just instantly that joy turned into sorrow, um, and there was no time mentally to catch up to to the sudden um, demise of the child. Um, it was really bad movie I like to kind of frame it in that way because it is it didn't feel real it didn't feel like this was supposed to be happening it also was not to be facetious or but really dramatic like a really dramatic moment um where in the beginning beginning of the day um I was going about my day as usual, but also with this, like, this joy in my heart, and then by the end of the night, in agony and and pain, and crying and screaming, and, you know, having to be transported to the hospital, um, and having to go through that process, um, having to hear people come to you and tell you the unfortunate news looking at my daughter looking at my husband visibly broken and visibly shattered it was traumatic to say the least Um, and then the moment at the hospital had to happen and you just get back in your car, you go back home and you have to move on from it and where my story kind of um we'll, ta- well we're we're going to un- unpack it but it's marked by a lot of confusion, a lot of sadness, disappointment um and we'll unpack the, uh, unpack more of it but that that's basically what happened um we lost our ch- our second child and i want to and a few a few months no a few weeks later after that i lost my brother um so it felt like life hit me with like a two piece combo and i didn't know how i was mentally going to just deal with loss after loss and then kind of coming into the holiday season where it's supposed to be joyous and supposed to have a lot of jubilee and um, you hear Christ is born and then you weren't able to make that happen in your own life. It's a little disorienting. So um, I say that to as a precursor to what we're about to talk about, but just how I've been doing since then, we're going to talk about that.
2: One thing that I think needs to be said before we get to where we're going next is uh, Stephanie did one of the best jobs I've ever seen at maintaining a high level of privacy in, like, it's not everybody's business, everything we're going through, amen? And we're not supposed to talk to everybody about it, but there should be, we should all have like a Peter, James, and John in our life, right? Not the 500 and not even the 12, but maybe the three that we can reach out to and you know, Stephanie has done a good job and I think it, it's, it needs to be said pastorally that when things like that begin to happen, it's really important that you don't share too much, but it's also important that you do share with the right people and name and, and actually be hospitable to the pain that you're feeling. Like allow the pain to find comfort in you, sit down at the table with you and have it say and let it continue to talk. And I think you've done beyond an amazing job at that. And I think it's why you're processing this pain in such a healthy way. Thank you. With that said, Steph calls me one day and she we're talking and she says, I'm sitting here, I'm completely helpless, and yet I'm feeding my daughter. How is it that I could be so helpless and at the same time, be a source for somebody. Like, if I don't do what I need to do, Mila doesn't make it. So I'm sitting here. She's as needy as I am. I'm her source, and yet I don't feel like I have anything in me to give. And, you know, quickly I said, you know, Steph, I think, I think you're identifying with Mary right now. Who was feeding and sustaining physically the God who would grow up to feed and sustain her. Amen. So what is this reciprocity of neediness? And that's when Steph and I came up with the sermon title called Holy Neediness. There's something about being needy and yet God allowing you to maintain your agency that feels like it's one of the most holy moments to be in. God is needy in Mary's arms. Mary is needy because she needs a Savior. And when their neediness met each other, salvation began to happen. And so I wanted you just to talk a little bit about what did that feel like to be entirely needy and helpless and at the same time be the one to be a source for your daughter? And, and, and who was God for you as you were working that out? Yeah.
0: Um, so when I used to think about miracles, I used to think about people that couldn't walk and then they end up walking, things like physically that I could see. And this moment that, I'm, that you're referring to felt like a miracle for me. It felt like the first time that I was able to see um, the scripture that says, it is not I, but Christ that lives in me, actually manifests itself in real life. Um, because physically, there was nothing I was able... To, I couldn't give more than I could give. I was going through um, the healing process. And I still had to be a mother to my daughter who needs oatmeal in the morning, um, wants me to play with her and, and laugh with her and is in need of me to talk to her for her development, for, her, for, our, relation, um, for our relationship. And I can say with all confidence that it wasn't me doing any of that. Um, it wasn't me picking up the spoon to put it to her mouth. It wasn't me um smiling back at her. It wasn't me playing playing with her, and it wasn't me. that's like all I can actually say about what that felt like it just was not me it was the spirit of god carrying me in my most broken moment and um i i thank god because he cares this was a something huge that i know god would care about but it's him caring about the day to day things that you still need to get done in the midst of healing from something. Nothing is too small for God. There's nothing too little that he doesn't care about. Picking up a spoon, putting oatmeal in your daughter's mouth is not too little for him to care about. And his strength can reach the smallest thing in your life, the smallest detail in your life. Um, So for me, it was This ability to feel that I was very weak and very sad and very disappointed. But there was something in me that said, but you can still live. You can still live. You can still do the things you need to do, but not in your own strength. That shift for me at that moment was, Steph, not in your own strength, though.
2: And I think, and we talked a lot about this, like we all know what you mean when you say it wasn't me, but this is the part that I think really made us want to sit down and do this when we talked about neediness, but also not losing your agency. Like it was the energy and the anointing and the grace that was filling you to do those things was coming super naturally, right? It was coming to you from him. But the beautiful part about it is, and I think God wants you to know this, and I think God wants everybody to know this, it was you. It was you doing it. God didn't put you like you know, on sleep mode and then do things and then wake you back up again. He filled you because God only ever wants to share his life with us. And because he so doesn't want to be the center of attention, he fills us to do things that we couldn't do. But it's still us doing it. It's you mothering. It's you being a worship leader. It's you being a wife. It's you doing those things. It's God saying, in your most stripped down moment, your flesh, your life, who you are is so valuable to me. I raise it up and I fill it so that you can say it is Christ and it is me. That's what Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But then he says, but this life I now live. So there's both of them happening, right? And so God never leaves you in a way where the good things that get done get done apart from you. I don't know who's going through what today, but in your most absolute broken down, feeling all kinds of ways moment, when good things happen, it is God working through you. He doesn't leave your flesh helpless or useless, He animates it to do His will. Right. And so, I mean, that is like such a powerful thing. And I think that's what we talked about. Speak on what you were talking about when you were talking about like a, a needy boldness.
0: Yeah. So I used to be I used to associate neediness with um, losing your agency in some way, mainly because I would think that I, I used to think that um, people get tired of you needing. And so you are sub, you are kind of subject to their response being yes or no um, and that determines what you end up with, right? Yes or no or I can to this degree or I can to that degree. Like, I am subject to um, people's capacity and so I used to look at that as a um, sort of as a way to say well, I don't have a choice. I don't have a, I don't uh, I should just accept anything because, you know, I, I can't, beggars can't be choosers, right? You
2: just said that you felt s- enslaved to people's capacity. There's a little bit of a preaching moment right there. So <laughs> in other if I'm reading that right, you're saying that when people, when you sense that people are done with you, then you need to step back. Then you need to shrink. Then you need to move back. And, and obviously we know that that's not true. So what, what is God doing in your life? how has he helped you realize that you're more than what you think people have a stomach for? Like, you're more than what people can tolerate.
0: Um, I think that he he makes it clear that his provision can come from anywhere um, and anybody, and there's nothing too small or too big that um, he can provide you with that won't fill you, that won't complete what it's um, supposed to fill in you. And so sometimes it's not just one person you receive from. You can receive uh, from one person that doesn't have a full capacity, but he's always going to provide other people that have that capacity and they add up to 100, you know? And so you'll always find what you need anywhere you go. And I think the other part that I uh, internalized was that... um, I had a choice in where I went with my neediness. It wasn't that I just sit here either wait for someone to notice or um sit here and um pre have a conversation in my head and say, "Well, I don't think they can do that. I don't think this person. I don't th- I don't know if I trust. I don't know if I I, I was he revealed to me that His Holy Spirit is a helper, and it sends you where you need to go. And he doesn't send you anywhere um, that you can't receive, whether it is that um, you go and receive in abundance or you go and you receive in rejection, you receive something wherever you go. And so I had to first know that the Holy Spirit is leading me. And so that boldness doesn't come from me it comes from him empowering me to say, you can get up and you can pick up your bed and you can go to where you need to to get the needs met. And you can trust me, not necessarily full trust in the person. You can trust me and you can trust my word and you can trust the direction that I'm sending you. So, yeah.
2: One of our favorite preachers, uh, Chris Green. We talk about them often. You know, we got a a magazine delivered to the church. This is a true story. It happened Friday. We got a magazine delivered to the church where you could order office supplies from. And the magazine said, Pastor Chris Green of Salem Tabernacle on the cover. And here's the embarrassing part. We think it's AI marketing. So whatever's listening to us must hear that I talked too much about Chris Green and thought he was the pastor of the church. Not my best moment. Sadly, not my worst moment. One of the things that he said, he and, and you and I listened to this message, uh, it said he preached a message where we all know the verse that says, the Lord is my shepherd. But he preached a sermon called, I am the Lord's shepherd. And he talked about how, and it's from this painting, Jesus on the Breadline, he talked about how when we when we serve each other like you are the body of Christ and so when we serve each other when you serve somebody in this room you are serving shepherding and taking care of Jesus's actual body and so there's this reciprocity of neediness where the Lord is our shepherd but he's also left it so that we have to be his also so when we take care of our children when we take care of our neighbor when we Take care of the orphan and the fatherless and the prisoner and the hungry and the naked and the destitute. we are taking care of Jesus himself. We are being the lord's shepherd also, and that just feels uncomfortable, right? Like it just feels like that's not something that should be said, but it is something that needs to be said because of exactly what you're saying that in your time of absolute desolation, you become somebody else's answer to prayer and theirs, and that gives you some sort of confidence
0: yeah um I think. The other aspect of the needy boldness that um, showed up in... We don't often associate the two words together, being needy and being bold. Um, But I started to see that, um, the representation of that in my life when I decided to actually put myself out there and um, share with who the Lord told me to share with and also ask for deeper relationships and deeper friendships with people um it's not something that traditionally I would do just because I err more on the side of caution when I am dealing with people or when I'm talking to people but this has kind of opened me up in a way to say what do you have to lose you know what do you have to lose um what do you have to lose in sharing your testimony? What do you have to lose in receiving encouragement from someone? You know, what do you have to lose in developing um, more deeper relationships with people? It's only nourishing you, you know. And so I I found that in this season of needy boldness, I was boldly looking for nourishment from the community.
2: So let's talk about the the second thing that you uh that we discussed where you towards the fall were like, okay, as we move into this new year, this new Christian year, this new calendar year, you felt the Lord was saying you are going to become the person that you were always meant to be, that, you know, you were going to be introduced to your your true self for the first time and the people around you were going to be introduced to your true self. And you were starting to feel that momentum. And obviously you had in your mind what that would look like. And then these two tragic events take place, one right after the other. And somehow, it didn't smash that prophecy into pieces. Somehow, you started to say that thing that God promised is still continuing to happen. So talk a little bit about that stretching that you you were mentioning, that feeling torn between one expectation and then what was actually happening.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so... um a few hours before I experienced um, the miscarriage, I was sitting in my living room, and you know I had been watching um, a sermon, one by Chris Green, our favorite. Fair enough. Um, I probably was too. And he said, life cannot be managed. It can only be lived. And so I said, okay, I hear you, Lord, right? Like, I hear you. And then um, I was sitting there, and... Um, I had a moment where I said to God, I feel like some things are shifting in me. I feel some difference, uh, some different things happening in me. I feel like there's a very thin veil between the woman that you see me as and the woman that I feel like, like I'm almost at what you see me as, but I'm not there yet. And I think there's like this veil that's kind of separating us, um, And a few hours later, I, you know, I was experiencing the most painful, um, agonizing thing in my life. Um, And I remembered, in retrospect, I look back on the situation and I go, you know, at the time when I was saying that to God, I thought I was about to get promoted at work or, you know, I was about to get some, some new material thing that would make me feel... Or, you know, some new material thing that would make me feel more like the woman he sees me as. Or, you know, something at church was about to shift and I was about to, you know. Or I'm about to have a baby that's going to propel me into something else. You know what I mean? Like, I thought all of those things were it. Um, And when I experienced, um, when I lost the baby that evening, um, I started... In retrospect, I think about how when Jesus was acquainted with death on the cross, they say that the veil was torn from top to bottom, and it exposed the most holy place. And in that same way where I felt that there was a veil between me and God and how I saw my true self, I felt like once I experienced what I experienced, that that veil was torn and then the most holy place was exposed for my life. And I say that not to say that um, God caused the miscarriage to happen, to show me my true self. I say that to say that life was unfolding and God was still coming to me with his goodness and coming to me with the um, the plan to expose me to my true self. So it, it, it worked through this situation that happened. Um where i finally got to see that my true self is vulnerable and transparent and not guarded and not protective and is willing to live or bleed out loud sometimes and and not be ashamed of people seeing that um And while I don't think God caused it, I think that the situation that I experienced made me go, wow, this is who I'm supposed to
2: be. You're using phrases like, so in in the two, like we have one more third to go. In the first two thirds of what we were saying here, when you talk about the renewal, when you talk about the revelation, when you talk about the breakthrough... It's amazing because th- this is what I do when we talk. I, I, I listen for particular words, right? And what I'm hearing you say in the in the collection of things that you're saying is, I got more confident for what? To say that I'm hungry, to say that I'm thirsty, to say that I'm in need. I found my true self. Well, what was your true self? Vulnerable, in need of relationship, in need of people who care about me. All right, this is Christmas time, right? This, what, what you're describing is exactly what they say, what Bonhoeffer says is the scandal of the Christian uh, message that God is in a manger, and God is on a cross, and God is in a tomb. He inhabits the places that we spend our broken natural life trying to avoid, and he shows up there, and he waits for us there, and it is through various circumstances that the Holy Spirit weaves this tapestry, and when we finally find our true self, it's not this super strong, look what I can do self. It is the self that is free to say, I don't have it all together. It's a self that's free to say, I lead people, and I don't know if I can take them anywhere. It's the self that can say, I need other people in my life. I love what you said about not everybody's at 100%, but if you get enough people around you, you could get the 100%. I feel like that's the church. A whole bunch of people operating at 3%, but when you put enough of us together, you got a 100% battery in there. Like... <laughs> That's who we are. We're a whole bunch of people at 5%. Put us together. We're dangerous. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like, I just feel like it's so amazing. You know, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and there's a famous verse. I believe it's Romans 8.28, and it's the verse that says, God works all things together for good, and it says, for those who are called according to his purpose. And N.T. Wright was saying, and I think this is great, that there's a, there's a mistranslation in there what it says in the Greek is not God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's not the word for. It actually says God works all things together for good with those who are called according to his purpose. So he's not working things together for good for only the ones who are called. He's saying the ones that are called are the ones I will partner with to make all things work together for everybody else. And I see that in your story right now, that God is inhabiting this trauma, this tragedy, and he is empowering you from the tomb up. As we said, a painful birth that was also a birthing of your true self, and the be- the beginning of a birthing of your true self. Yeah.
0: Um, to, to add to that point, I always, and if you, like, any mother in the room understands that the birth of your child um, changes you completely. Like you're not the same person you were before you went in that delivery room. Um, And so every birth of a child changes you in some drastic way. And so to, to think that, to know that I was expecting another one and it's gonna change me again I didn't know that God could also use a birth that I did not expect to happen in a very painful way to also change me and to also grow me um, forever. Like I'm forever changing forever. There's a, a imprint forever on my heart. With this situation, and I didn't know it was going to come in this package. You know, every time you're pregnant, you are. The hope is you're going to get to the end. And I was—I remember being in the hospital and feeling um, stuck between two two feelings. One was hope. And the other was, you would think despair, but the other one, in, when I think about it, was acceptance, right? And the whole part of me said, this crazy thing just happened. I hope that God uses this in my testimony to say, this crazy thing happened, but the baby still lived, right? Like that, that it, there was an appearance of death, but it did not happen. That was my hope, And then the acceptance part was um, not to say that I was okay with what happened and this is great. It was, I know, if, if, if this is what, if death is what this is right now, I know who is going to pick me up and carry me to the other side of this. So I had to, in a sense, in acceptance, there's a relinquishing of my expectation of, the way the situation is going to play out. And there's a full trust and leaning on the one who woke me up this morning, the one who spoke before I was even conceived and said that it was good. Like I trust him. He brought me here. He's going to carry me.
2: And, and I know that there's people in the room, I, I can see you. I know you. I know there's people in the room who have suffered loss of this nature. And what Stephanie is describing in her personal experience is the theology of the church that says there are only, there's only birthing now because Jesus went into death and birthed new life. And so there's only birth now. So even in a tragic death, something is born. And what we said on the phone together the other day is that uh, you, you're right in saying that this child was going to bring a goodness into my life and a mission into my life and a holiness into my life. And even though in a temporary way the child is lost, everything God was going to do through that child is not going to be wasted. That goodness is going to come, whether it comes through a birthing room or whether it comes through a graveyard. That that goodness comes. That's what Easter says. That's why this whole thing we call the liturgical year starting with Christmas, the church only ever celebrated Easter for 500 years. And then it developed these other themes of Pentecost and Lent and Epiphany and Christmas around Easter as a way to hold Easter up to say everything is pointing toward this Easter reality. And so what you're talking about, and this is what we uh, said in the car um, the other day when we were talking, was the thing that we can't get our heads around, the thing that eye has not seen nor ear heard, as it says in Job, we've heard rumors of it, is that God, and this is going to sound very simple, that God shows up for us in the fullness of his presence everywhere and in everything, right? And so last Sunday, you were in the car driving here and said you just started crying. You didn't know why. Then when... Anthony was reading the Isaiah text. I start crying and I'm like I know Anthony like with the red hair and everything, but like how is this getting me <laughs> emotional? And then another another person in the church called me this past week and said, "Pastor, you know, I was up at the front crying and somebody came up to me and thought that something was wrong, but it wasn't that something was wrong. It was that I was just crying." And then during the the worship service You just had all that emotion coming out of you and we concluded we're still blown away that Jesus doesn't change the way He shows up. He shows up in all of it. He shows up at the mountain peak. He shows up to Mary Magdalene weeping outside of a tomb. She can't even anoint a dead body. And Jesus shows up and says her name there. He, there is nowhere where He doesn't just show up. And we don't need to answer it. That brings out an emotion. That brings out tears. That brings baptism out of our eyes because He's just showing up for you wherever you are.
0: Yeah, I was overwhelmed with emotion because I I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. And the reality that he can locate me anywhere I am in any time that I am at any point in my life where I there's nowhere I can get away from him. Jesus can locate me just overwhelm me with this just overwhelming love um, that can only bring tears to your eyes, that can only just flow out of you. And they were the good, the interesting thing is that not only do those tears come out to show you how much you love Jesus, they heal you too. They are healing for your soul. And so it, if you're ever. In a space in your life where, you know, you may have been told not to cry or not to show emotion because other people will think you're weak. It is super strong to show those tears and to let them fall and to release them so they're not stuck inside of you. Um, And so Jesus' tears, I say Jesus' tears um, flowing through me, intertwining with my tears are healing
2: that's, that's, don't let that skip by. Jesus' tears flowing through me. He weeps over Jerusalem before he goes to the cross. We serve a God who weeps. We serve a God who laments. We serve a God who doesn't shy away from loss. We serve a God who doesn't say, I'm grieving, but I got to get over this. We serve a God who exists as much in the center of joy as he does in the center of the worst pangs of sorrow. And he will not leave the worst pangs of sorrow until he wipes away every tear from every eye. And so until then, you know the song that we could sing, I got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Sometimes that river of life is a bursting forth of joy. And I would say this, most of the time, that river of life are honest tears claiming the reality of what is and offering to God what needs to be healed. Our tears are honest namings and offerings to God of what needs to be healed. He says to people he heals, what do you want me to do for you? And you, the reader, you're like, Jesus, he's blind. That's what he, and Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? Why is he asking? It's obvious. It's not obvious. Jesus will heal what we're honest about. I want to hear you say it. I don't want you walking around acting like you can't confess your pain, acting like it's not faithful to say what you're lamenting over, acting like it's not faithful to say I'm depressed, I'm overburdened, I'm stressed. I don't have any like we have to say the truth about what is because God is in those places. If we don't tell the truth about what is, we will miss his presence. We will miss him in those places. And so you're finding you're, you're at the beginning of this journey of feeling in the middle of chaos and tragedy, you're starting to f- find yourself, you're starting to feel your true self, your gifts and all this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I'm finding that in letting go of needing to protect myself and hide myself, um, that God's ability to utilize the gifts that he's given me can freely fro- uh, flow out of me. Um, because that protective shield is just melting away through all of the tragedy that's happening um, consist like back to back um, I just wanted to touch on the graveyard thing that we we just mentioned because i a thought came to mind of how I felt um, in the hospital, so I went to the hospital. Um, few days before that, I had uh, proof that there was life going on. I had an ultrasound. I had heartbeat. I had everything, and I had memories in picture form and everything like that. Uh, a few days later, um, I go to the hospital, and you know they come in after that happens to you. Um, they come in and they check everything and they basically told me the doctor basically told me that not only was the baby not alive anymore it wasn't showing up in there at all and so for me I'm like I have pictures though like I have pictures I have recordings like does not make any sense, and I thought about it when I started to reflect a few days ago. I was like, "When your when when your womb, which is a place that is supposed to provide nourishment and life and um, growth and all of that, becomes a tomb in some sense in carrying something that is no longer living." Not just that, but it becomes an empty tomb where there is nothing there anymore. And you have to reconcile what was once a garden and now it's a graveyard. Like how are we, how do we do that? And then I think about Mary, we read the scripture about Mary's song and it was a song of joy because of what she was expecting to bring forth but she's very acquainted with a garden and a graveyard holding a garden and a graveyard in her womb, because Jesus is not only the gardener but he's also one that was laid in a tomb and understands leaving that tomb as well and so for me I found comfort in looking at Mary's song, not in the traditional way of a baby's coming, a baby's coming, but a baby's coming, life is coming, death is also coming, and life is coming again. Mm. So for me to to there is there is there's always going to be that part of you that is confused but the part that I I find I rest in is that Jesus understands and that his mother understands and God understands the totality of the experience
2: and the totality of that experience is who you are and who you're becoming Salem let's stand to our feet John, you can come on up. We'll give you 15 minutes to come on up here. (laughs) They love his shoes. Stephanie, thank you so much. That was beautiful and powerful.
1: Thanks
0: for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.